Well, we are thinking about the mind, and there's a quote I want to read from Craig Rochelle, pastor and author, and I just finished reading through his book, recommend it to you if you want to read it, and he says this, the battle for your life is always won or lost in your mind. I think it's quite a profound thought, <laughs> because often we see our battles as being external, we're fighting with this person or this situation or this challenge or this circumstance. And it's, we very much externalize the battles that we face. And then we wonder why we're not winning them. <laughs> because the real battle is actually internal. It's the battle within our own mind. How do we perceive ourselves and our world? Uh, what do we do with that inner monologue at night as we battle the people all over again, right? The battle is either won or lost in our mind. And I think we're starting to see this truth in the Bible as well. And so we've been learning some key words. And I want to refresh your memory as we think about the mind with some of the key words we've already learned. First of all, strategies for winning this battle. First word is replace. We need to replace the lies that we've been told with the truth about Jesus. We need to replace those. It's hard work. It's not going to happen just by osmosis, just lying in our bed at night. It's going to take some work to identify what those lies are. And as the Bible says, tear down those strongholds and bring every thought captive to Jesus. That takes some effort. It takes some, some work. Some of those lies like, you know, I'm not really worth love. I'm not worthy of being loved. Or lies like, if only I had such and such a thing, then my life would be complete. Or maybe even lies like, life should be easy. That's a lie, you know. <laughs> and we believe it so often, so we're so shocked whenever we face some kind of trouble. Uh, because we often believe in lies. So replace, that's the first key word. Second key word is this, refocus. We need to turn our attention away from evil things to something that is beautiful, good, and true. It's not that we totally ignore evil. We can't. We have to name evil. We have to work against evil. We have to identify even the sin in our lives. So we can't just bury our head in the sand and forget about it. That's not what we're talking about. But we can't become consumed by it. I think even sometimes the strategies for helping young men deal with pornography is all wrong because it forces them to focus so much on pornography that they become consumed by the very thing they're trying to avoid. Maybe we need to shift our focus. We need to refocus on that which is good and beautiful and true, and in that, have our lives reshaped. So, replace, refocus. Any guess on what the word is today? Renew. Yeah, it was even in the passage. But here's a twist in the sermon already. I'm going to replace that word renew with another word that will make more sense to you in just a moment, I hope. <laughs> um, so here we see Paul, Paul at his best. I love Romans. I find chapters 1 to 11 very confusing, but it's deep, and I know it's deep, so I try and read it. But chapter 12 onwards, he gets very practical, very re real, very relational. And this is what we're seeing in chapter 12. He talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And it's a very practical thing to Paul. Instead of being conformed to the pattern of the world, 
Instead of letting the world squeeze us into its mold, Paul says, be transformed. Be transformed into the image of Christ. And the key to this transformation is what? It's our mind. So Christianity isn't behavioral modification. It's not just cleaning up our act so that we're presentable on Sunday morning. That's not what the Christian faith is all about. The Christian faith is about transformation. And that transformation takes place, it starts in our mind. That's what Paul is saying here. So what does this mean? What does it mean to renew our mind? How do we do that? What are we even talking about when we say renew? And here's where I want to swap out the word. Because the word renew to me sounds nice. It, I just get warm fuzzies when I hear renew because I think about holidays or I think about retreats. I think about being refreshed and renewed. Ah, a nice shower with Irish spring or something. I don't know what you use in your shower. I don't need to know what you use in your shower. But there, Irish spring or something like that, just this renewal of the earth and it just sounds so inspiring. That's important, by the way, to find times of refreshing and renewal. But we're, we're talking about Paul here. I'm not sure Paul thought of life as Irish spring and roses and fun. So I think we need to get, dig a little bit deeper. And so I want to use another word here. Instead of renew, I want to use the word renovate. Because it is also an R word, and it also is one way to translate this Greek word in the New Testament. It only occurs twice. Here it occurs in Romans chapter 12. The renovation of the mind. Does that seem more like work to you? Yeah, it does. I've been involved in a few renovations in my time. Maybe you have too in the last couple of years. We were involved in a renovation in the church platform here. And we know that usually a renovation results in something that's good. But the work to get there can be really, really hard. It can be tough. I've learned at least three things about renovations. Maybe you have learned these things too. First of all, a renovation is inconvenient. It's really not convenient. You know that it's for the greater good, but it's not convenient. You're displaced and dispersed. Your life is, is upended. When we just recently renovated part of our house, all of our furniture lived in the middle of the floor for two weeks. I said to Christine, we should just go get an Airbnb or something because it's so inconvenient to think about renovation. I think it's true when we talk about renovating our mind. There's not a convenient time to do it. You can't say, oh, when I'm older, I'll renovate my mind, or man, I should have done that when I was younger. There's no convenient time. Renovation is hard, and it requires some effort. So I've learned that one thing about renovation, it's inconvenient. Second thing, can you guess it? Renovations are costly. It can be expensive and way more expensive than you can ever imagine. I used to look at um, a program called Barn Finds, and the Barn Finds would be these old cars or old motorcycles that you'd find hiding out in a barn that would be of great value. And this guy, just for fun, posted a barn find in an old barn. It was a piece of two by four, right? Do you get it? It's so costly. It's so expensive. It's like, hey, I found a complete one. It's like a barn find. Renovations are costly, and we shouldn't be surprised by this. Jesus warns us that if we want to follow him, it's going to cost us something. That's why lots of people decided not to follow him any longer. They thought they were in it for free bread and fish, 
And they soon discovered that they actually had to take up their cross daily and follow after him. And so renovating the mind is costly. But here's the third thing that might actually just completely scare you off attempting this. The third thing about renovations I've learned is this. You never know what you're going to find, <laughs> right? You never know what you're going to find. Uh, sometimes you find great things. I remember renovating an old office building uh, in downtown Vancouver, and we tore apart the wall, and we found like original Coke bottles that were stored in the wall. The original workers must have stored them there. That was exciting. A few years ago, I had to patch a hole in our wall, from drywall that uh, water had gotten into, and as I tore it apart, I thought I was just replacing the drywall and discovered what? The studs in the wall were also rotting. You discover all sorts of things when you start to renovate. And I think the th same thing is true of our mind. If we pay attention to what we believe and what we think and how we think, we begin to see that there are things that we didn't expect to find. And that can be exciting. It can also be very troubling. And so this is renovation. That's why I want to use this word, that we want to renovate our mind. Why does our mind need renovation? Why? Maybe it's obvious to some of us. Maybe we just know, man, I need a good renovation in my mind. But maybe it's not so obvious to others. I mean, can't we just all live with the way it is? Well, the good news is, yes, you can. In fact, we're very good at adapting to our sin. <laughs> we're very good at adapting to our dysfunction. I know that when we moved into our house eight years ago, the second day that we were in there, maybe the third day, the toilet upstairs leaked from the base and completely destroyed part of our ceiling in our dining room. And so I got right to it. I cut out the destroyed part. I replaced the toilet. But then I wasn't quite sure how to match, you know, the old popcorn ceiling that's on there. And so I just put a piece of kind of drywall stuff over top of it. And I thought, I'll get to that next week. Eight years later... It just got fixed last month because we become very adept. We, we, we adapt very well to dysfunction and we just learn to live with it. I think a lot of us are, are just learning to live with our sin. We learn to live with our dysfunctional minds. And so renovation is tough, it's costly, and we need to do it if we're going to move toward wholeness and health in our mind as Jesus is calling us to. John Piper says this, why do we need to renovate our mind? Because our minds are not by nature God-worshipping minds. They are by nature self-worshipping minds. That is the spirit of our minds. That's the reality that we're dealing with. Paul in Romans chapter 8 says this, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit Think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And maybe that's where the key is. The key is this. The Holy Spirit in, is in charge of the renovation. Because if we're in charge of the renovation, we're going to mess it up. You ever realize the time that you just need to call in a professional, right? I say to my wife, no, no, I'll, I'll fix that tap, honey, no problem. She goes, just call someone, just please, just call someone. Well, here we're calling the professional. 
When it comes to renovating our mind, it's the Holy Spirit that needs to do this. The Holy Spirit needs to be in charge of the renovation. The one other place where this word is used, we also get this idea of the Holy Spirit being in charge. In Titus verses, chapter 3, verse 5, it says this. God saved us through the washing of rebirth and renovation by the Holy Spirit. It's by the Holy Spirit. So this whole activity of the mind does not actually work harder to renovate our mind, but actually yield more. Give more control up to God. Yield our mind over to God so that the Holy Spirit might do his work in us. That's the reality that we need to deal with. Well, I want to wrap this whole uh, mini-series up by just talking about two practical things from this passage that show that we're actually making gains, that we're actually winning some of the battle of the mind. And Paul lays this out for us. He gives us two parallel thoughts in, in verses 1 and 2 and then verses 3 and 5. And if you read it together as you go home tonight or this afternoon, you'll see that each of those parallel sections talks about the mind and the body and acts of service. So let's see how this gets put together. The first thing, the first evidence that we're kind of winning this war of the mind is that we're able to offer our whole life to God as an act of service. That's the evidence that our mind is being renovated. It's being renewed. Offer your whole life to God as an act of service. That's what Paul says. Present our bodies as living sacrifices. This is our reasonable act of service or a reasonable act of worship. That word service there, it's actually a word that means something you do in exchange for money. <laughs> but it's only ever used in the New Testament of what we do in offering our worship to God. This is our reasonable act of service to God. So this is the mindset we need, that we offer our body as an act of worship to God. Think about that for a moment. When the Greeks and the Romans talked about worship, they talked about the spiritual realm. The body really didn't mean much to many of them. The body, you could either beat it down or you could indulge it because the body didn't matter. But Paul and the gospel says, the body matters. This, this physical realm matters to us. Matter matters. And we see this right here. William Barclay says this, true worship is the offering to God of one's body and all that one does with it. Real worship is not simply the offering to God of a liturgy, however noble, and a ritual, however magnificent. Real worship is the offering of everyday life to him. Not something only transacted in a church, but something which sees the whole world as the temple of the living God. When we get to that point where we see that all of life is an act of worship, that all we do in the body is an act of worship, then we know that our mindset is being changed, is being transformed. This is a major renovation in our thinking to recognize that there aren't sacred things that we do in church and then secular things that we do in our home. There's no Sunday-Monday divide when it comes to Paul's thinking. We can't say that some things are sacred and reserved for what we do in here, and the rest of the world is secular, and so when we go to work, we behave completely differently. No, it's all meant to be wrapped up as an offering of worship to God. 
Yesterday was a beautiful day, and Christine and I got on our motorbike, and we rode out into Kananaskis country. And we got our pass, so we were legit, legal, and we went out to Sheep River Falls. Some of you maybe have been there. It was a gorgeous day. We're out on the bike. We're having a great time, and uh, that was wonderful. And now I'm here preaching a sermon. Which one is more spiritual? In the end, honestly, truly, both can be an act of worship to God. We can come to church and not actually worship. Or we can be out on our motorcycle and offer that as an act of worship to God. That's the idea. There should be no divide between the sacred and the secular. Paul says, offer your body and everything that you do in it as an act of worship to God. That's a mindset change. And once we begin to clue into that, that all that we do in the body can be an offering of worship, then our life opens up and we experience incredible freedom. So our work, our parenting, our studying, our preaching, our vacationing, our grieving, our celebrating, everything that we do in the body can be an act of worship to God. And that's part of what Paul is saying here. It's a mind shift um, that comes when our minds are renewed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's the first combination of mind and body and service. The second part of that passage also includes mind and body and service, but it does it a little differently. One of the ways that we know that our mind is being renewed or renovated is this. When we're able to offer our gifts to one another as an act of service. This is a mindset shift as well. I'm having a hard time saying that word. As members of one body, we are meant to serve one another. It's a change in our thinking. Instead of being in competition with one another, we are meant to be in unity with one another. I think so much of the pattern of this world sets us up in competition against one another. We do it all the time. I know there's a, a sense of healthy competition we develop in school, but it translates into our work. It even translates into our families. Do you ever feel competitive in your family life? I've got a bunch of brothers. We were always competitive. And so when we come to church even sometimes, we are a little bit competitive still. When it comes to budget time and we ask all the ministry areas, we say, here's a set amount of money. Now go for it. Who gets it first? Who gets the most? And we have sort of these weirdly competitive ways of behaving. And Paul says, there's a different mindset that's needed. Instead of competing, we need to strive toward unity by serving one another in the body of Christ. This is what it says in verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, says Paul, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Humility is required, again, in service. Listen to what it says in the message translation. In this way, we are like the various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as part of this body. So let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. So he goes on to say, if you preach, just preach God's message. Nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, Stick to your teaching. 
If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantage, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Just as we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God, so we offer our gifts to one another as members of the body of Christ. That's a mindset shift. That's a change in our thinking from being competitive with one another to serving one another in humility and in love. That's what's needed. We've all been given gifts, and we offer those gifts to one another in order to build up the body of Christ. So this represents then to us the renovated mind. From a mindset of living in competition to living with one another and giving it all as an act of worship to God. So here's my challenge. My challenge is for us to think differently, to think differently about the world, to think differently about our work, and to think differently about our worship. All of that is necessary. Here's a question. What act of worship will you participate in today besides this service? As you go from here, there's all kinds of things, all kinds of ways that we can offer what we do with our bodies as an act of worship to God. What act of worship will you participate in today besides what we're doing right now? And then the second question is this. What gift has God given you and how will you use it to build up the body of Christ? That's so important. And both those things require a change in our thinking. So the three words, the three strategies for winning the battle of the mind. Replace, refocus, and renovate or renew, if you prefer that. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 1. And this is my prayer for us. I pray that your minds may be open to see his light so that you will know what is the hope to which he has called you, how rich are the wonderful blessings he promises his people, and how very great is his power at work in us who believe. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you've given us the ability to think together. You've given us a mind. And we pray today that the mind of Christ our Savior might also be our mind today, that that same attitude that Jesus had would also be our attitude as we offer our bodies to you as an act of worship and as we serve one another in the body of Christ. Help us to do this well. Help us to experience freedom and joy as we do it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.